This call is being recorded. Hey everyone, it's uh, David Barnett with another Holiday Chat 2018. And uh, this time I've got Tony on the line who's calling in from the West Coast of Canada. And Tony's calling in because he's examining an opportunity to buy a hospitality business. Tony, um, just so everyone can get to know you, why don't you give us a little bit of background on who you are, maybe what some of your work or, or business background has been, so we can kind of get a feel of, of what kind of person you are and what your skills might be and, and uh, why this kind of business might interest you. So, um, hi everybody, my background, um, <clears throat> most of my career is actually in, in telecommunications, um, where I worked various customer service roles, uh, into doing technical work and then into operations side of things and into management. Um, and so I spent about 16 years doing that. So that's you know been most of my adult life. Um, and my uh, uh, wife and, and I and, and our two uh, young ones, we, we actually had a, an opportunity to, um, to uh, move to um, a new location uh, closer to the ocean. And we uh, decided to do that. And and uh, kind of change our lifestyle around a little bit. And, and through all that, uh, we actually both had to leave our jobs, uh, or chose to leave our jobs and kind of almost start a little bit of a new life over again. And uh, just to have uh, you know a little bit more of a relaxing lifestyle in the location we're at now and um, be closer to nature and, and uh, kind of see where that took us. And um, so my wife had a, a side business that she still, uh, is carrying on that she had done uh, before she left her her old job, and so she's continuing to do that. Um, and then uh, I, since moving to our new location, uh, I have uh, gotten into doing some construction work, uh, renovations, and whatnot on house on houses and and uh, properties uh, around the area here. Uh, and um, it's not something new to me. I'd done that, um, you know, uh, throughout my life uh, here and there, just kind of on the side and, and on my own projects and um, developing a few uh, properties uh, or improving properties for ourselves uh, and then selling them. So um, this this particular uh, venture that uh, we're, we're interested in, um, it's a little bit different because we both uh, don't have any real experience in hospitality. Um, mm -hmm. You do have experience in customer service and um, a lot of things that would go along with a property like that, uh, you know, as far as the maintenance and taking care of the place and whatnot. But from a actual running a, a hospitality business, um, not so much. So, um, which is, you know, one of the things we're looking into and, and, and you know, if that is, you know, for sure the right fit for us. Uh, we don't have too many doubts in our mind and, and we do have uh, some people in our family that work in the hospitality business and in, in management roles and whatnot. Uh, so we do have some people to lean on and, and to give us advice. And um, so kind of that's where we're at right now in our life. This, this place, um, it, it came up for sale recently and uh, it's actually just very nearby to our, our house where we live now. And so we're familiar with the place. We've actually stayed there before. And so um, we're, we're just looking to, to get more uh, insight into what this would really look for us if we if we took uh, took this on or, or and how we would get into it financially and whatnot. Okay. So um bef so so basically, you know, the the handyman thing doing renovations this kind of thing, you're not a stranger to any of that. No. And in your previous career, like I want I want to talk about the value of your skills in the marketplace. So in your previous career, what kind of uh, what kind of salary level would you have been at? Uh, so my, uh, when I left, it was, uh, um, 80 to 90 K. Okay. 
Okay. And that's not doing handyman work. That's no, working no, that, that, was, that, was, uh, that was working in management. Okay. All right. So Tony's worth 80 to 90 K if he's in a market where people are willing to hire him. Okay. Now I want to just set that number aside. Um, what's the, uh, what's the asking price or what do you think you could buy the business for? I guess might be a better question. Uh, we would think and hope maybe around a million, uh, would be real, but I guess that's something we have to, to see. Um, they're asking prices around that. Okay. So on the property, there's a bunch of, is it cabins? Yeah. So they're, they're cabins, cabins and, um, and little cottages of different sizes. Mm -hmm. And, um, so, so there's, uh, people come, they spend the night. Is there any food service? Like, is it a bed and breakfast kind of thing or pe are people are on their own for food? No, they're on their own. Uh, there's, there's kitchens in all the units. Mm -hmm. so a lot of people will come and, and make their own food. Um, and then there's some restaurants nearby as well. And, okay. and so, Does the business feature an owner's suite or an owner's unit where you could live presumably yeah. for free? We could live there. Yes. Yeah. Um, you know, and that's one thing we'd have to work out as, you know, part of this process is if that's, if that's what we would be doing or not, you know, we do have a house um, that we're perfectly fine in now, but financially it may make more sense to move in there or maybe not. So, cause it, the unit could also be rented out as well. So. Right. Now, now in advance of the call, you had sent me some spreadsheets with some projections that you had worked on. Um, and of course, you know, all the people who are listening can't see all that stuff, but just um, in round figures, what what do you think is a reasonable annual total sales revenue for this business? Um, reasonable? Well, <clears throat> the way I work it out is um, on average for the past five years would be around 200,000 would be in that ballpark. And, and we kind of figured that from our projections, uh, that amount would be could be realistic um, as far as making making the business work for us. And but I guess that's something we wanted to work through as well. Mm, okay. So about 200,000 in revenue and what, what would, would be the operating, yeah. Okay. What would the operating expenses be for the business out without including labor or a bank payment, just like electricity repairs, maintenance, all the stuff that, uh, that you'd have to pay to run it. Right. So that's uh, 72,000 approximately. Okay. I'm going to call it 70. Yeah. So we're left with $130,000 let's call it uh, gross profit because that's before we paid for any kind of labor and before we paid the bank. That's okay. Right. And on a million dollar property purchase, um, what kind of mortgage do you think that you're going to be able to get or uh, loans so, in, or loans in total, I guess. So what we've looked into so far is we're going to be, um, so like a bank, for example, um, could be willing to give us uh, about 600k, five to 600k in there is what we've been told. Um, you mm -hmm. know, you know, depending a number of conditions, but that's ballpark. Um, and then um, also, um, and this is something too we were wanting to, I guess, get advice on and work through is what um, what makes sense after that because we do have options to have other loans. Uh, you know, through different people we know um, that we could get maybe an extra 200K on top of that, um, maybe on, you know, maybe on a shorter term, because I know the bank loan would be a longer term loan because it's there's commercial real estate attached to it. So, mm -hmm. yeah. So, so I guess, and so if you could get a $600 
bank loan, a six hundred thousand dollar bank loan, two hundred thousand from another source. Do you have uh, the balance? You have the other two hundred. Uh, not in our pockets at the moment. We've got a small portion of that, um, but that's where we would have to look into um, equity on our home. And maybe that, that's what I was kind of uh, talking about a little earlier is, does it make sense maybe in this situation to um, get an equity loan on the house to make up some of the balance or sell the house outright and move move to the location of the business um, and um, or bring in maybe some uh, family investors or something on top of that. So. Okay. Uh, that's yeah we've got quite a different you know quite a few options and that's what's almost making it more confusing to me is you know we we're lucky we're fortunate in that we have sources of getting uh some financing you know we have some equity we have some savings uh and um you know and and family members that could be interested in this too to, to help us out so there's a lot going on <clears throat> okay let me ask you a few more questions okay so right now you have equity in your home uh, but you do have a mortgage on your home uh, very, yeah, we do a small mortgage. Uh, it's what's well, only about we only have about thirty five k left on our mortgage. So, okay. uh, <clears throat> so it's um, yeah. So we do have a fair bit of equity, and and we, I mean, uh, for a place here, it's you know, it's not worth a fortune, but we um, we figure we could pocket uh, about three hundred k if we wanted to sell basically cash out of our place here. Okay, and and what kind of um, what kind of household income do you guys have right now to afford to live in the house you're in uh so we're uh both of us were working part-time essentially uh at our uh you know me doing some construction work and then my my wife at her business and um <clears throat> so grow gross income we're about 5k a month mm -hmm. okay so household about 60k right now and do you think you could run this hospitality business while continuing to do those part-time pursuits uh, yes, that's actually one of the the draws to it uh, that we're, we're interested in is that it would work fairly well with our lifestyle. Uh, both our our uh, essentially our her business and and my job are, are quite flexible in the, in the hours and and you know when we can do it and how many hours we can put in. So it's it's actually quite nice that uh, we believe that the, running the the hospitality business could uh, fit in well with that. So okay, so. Um, for the $600,000 mortgage and the $200,000 other loan that we talked about, what, what would be your monthly debt service approximately? Do you know? Um, so for the, um, for the, the bank loan, essentially about 600,000, we'd be looking at about, um, five grand and, mm -hmm. um, yeah, let's just say ballpark because that could go down if we had a little bit of a longer term. That's based on a 15-year term, um, okay. and the banks actually they're they're they've been talking about longer terms on that as well. So so that's but and then so and then on a say two hundred thousand uh, <clears> dollar <throat> loan uh, from another source, if we wanted to actually pay that off uh, sooner, um, say it was a five-year loan, then we'd be actually adding an additional I think thirty-eight hundred. Um, so, so you could be, you could be talking, you could be talking <laughs> nine grand a month yeah. in yeah. debt service. That's right. Yeah. Uh, although, uh, you know, that's because it does seem high when I plunked that in because that, that was kind of on the higher end. And that's why I wanted to see like, what is it really going to look like on the higher end of the loan? Like if we had shorter terms and, and whatnot. So, um, you know, I think that could be reduced or I know it could be reduced if we had a, a longer term on, on both loans actually. Okay. So if you, 
if you had, um, you know, and I know different terms cause different amounts of cash flow, but if you had uh, $9,000 a month, then you'd be looking at $108,000 in debt service out of our $130,000 of gross profit. That's right. Right. So you're left with like 22 grand of wiggle room. That's right. Of, of money coming into this business. And, and, and that has to cover all of the labor that goes into this business. So if it's not you and your wife, it's going to have to be some other person who's paid. And I'm assuming in, in this scenario that because there's no other debt that you've, uh, you know, sold the house. But if you, if you didn't sell the house, if instead you got a new home equity line of credit to get the last 200 grand to buy this business, well, then you'd have to service that debt too. And I'm, I'm guessing that would eat up the balance of this 22 grand. Yeah. Uh, so if we had a, and that's the thing, if we had say a, our thinking is if we had a equity loan in our place uh, that we would rent out the place to try to cover that. Mm-hmm. And then we would live at the at the hospitality business. You would live in one of the cabins. Yeah, I live in one of the cabins. Now, the only thing with that too is is that could uh, potentially reduce the revenue if we're mm-hmm. living in a in a in a unit that could be rented out. So we'd have to be maybe strategic about that if it could be, um, you know, because the place doesn't always run at full occupancy except for a, a couple months of the year in the summer. So mm-hmm. maybe we could make that work without impacting the revenue too much. So, but so that yeah so that's where we would not hopefully not have to worry as much about where the money comes from to pay that extra equity loan right how um um you said there's a bunch of a bunch of cabins there uh like a dozen is that would that be uh, right there's a uh, nine nine okay so knowing what you know about construction and and are, would these be winterized to any great extent like are they insulated and everything or are they pretty rustic it's- yeah, they're they're half. I would say like half insulated. They're they're they're. It's a year round place, so people do stay there all year, even in the winter. Um, luckily on the on the um, west coast here, we have a fairly mild winter climate, so it um, they are usable year round. But uh, yeah, I'm sure they could use some more insulation either way. <laughs> so so knowing what you know about construction and stuff, if uh, if you were going to build one of these cabins, what do you think it would cost you to build one? Oh gosh, um, well. I guess we could average it maybe because they're they're all different sizes, um, mm-hmm. which uh, it makes that a little tough. But if we said like a, on the mid range there, oh boy, you'd be looking at probably an average cost of, oh, I'd say at least a hundred grand each. Yeah, each. Yeah, it's How not cheap. They? Um, they range from as small as I think about oh, was it maybe three four hundred square feet up to nine hundred square feet, I believe. But okay, so really, you think it would cost that much? It's it, because of the, and I'm not sure, you know, different areas might have different uh, rules on this, but um, because they'd have to have new foundations put in, like you'd be building, it's like if you're building from the from scratch, from the ground up, you're talking concrete work and um, and and you know redoing everything, and it's that's not cheap. You got new kitchens and and everything. It, I mean, you, maybe you could get away with cheaper. You know, let's say maybe seventy five. But I just, oh, that's that's tough because you get, you have to build like with all the new building codes, you have to put in proper concrete perimeter wall mm-hmm. foundations, um, not just you know the uh, blocks and and posts like you know a lot of older places are on. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, it can really drive up. I know I've been working on a few places that. 
you know, they're not that big of houses or cottages either. And, and the prices are in the hundreds of thousands. So, but is that including land? No, no, that's just to build. Yeah. It's, okay. Yeah. Like, though, it's, I mean, you know, maybe I could, like I said, maybe a hundred grand could be overshooting it a little bit, but um, I couldn't see any way you could do it for less than 75. I mean, okay. that'd be, I mean, if I was doing labor on myself and whatnot, of course, but um, it, it's, yeah, it's expensive to, to build these days for sure. You know, so so given, <laughs> given that those are old, whether they're yeah. like 30, 40 years old, do you think? Or uh, 50, yeah, they're, uh, yeah, they're about four, 40, uh, even some might be upwards of 50. Okay. So so what do you think the, those buildings might be worth in their given state? Oh, in their given state, probably. You I might be like a total number or maybe like average again or? Yeah, like an average number. Mm. Boy, current state. I uh, geez, that's a tough one because it's because they're older. You can't. Um, I would say maybe, maybe in the thirty average, mm-hmm. thirty grand, something like that. Okay. Yeah. So, so you're you're basically saying that the land probably is worth six or seven hundred grand. Well, in my mind, I thought you know the land itself was uh, you know had a value. I don't know about that much in, in just the land. Um, mm-hmm. But, um, and then I, I was thinking, you know, in this type of business that there would be some goodwill or some business aspect to it as well that would be worth or something. So, um, yeah, because I, I don't see the land itself being that much. I could say maybe maybe 500 would be the max for just the land, I, maybe less even. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Okay. So would you say that the the fact that building codes and things have changed to make construction more expensive that there's a certain value in the fact that these things are grandfathered definitely uh, i for sure it's uh, there's a there's a lot of talk around here about people um you know really switching their mindset i've heard a lot, a lot of people talk about this and people i work with that um it's you know like say for example property development you know someone wants to buy a a lot and decide to you know build a, a place on it and then and, and turn around and sell it it's tough to really the money's just not not in it to make a much of a profit it's really tough so a lot of people are really turning more towards just fixing up older places because of all the costs and 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 red tape that go through building a, a new place from scratch so it mm-hmm. um there's definitely a lot of value in i believe in the fact that they're they're there already <laughs> and they're like you said grandfathered then you get into two uh, like um septic systems as well so as soon as you decide okay well let's start building some new places from the ground up uh, then your your sewage septic system gets looked into, and you know maybe that needs to be replaced or upgraded. So then you got that's you know fifty grand up you know for that even just for a house. So, mm. so <clears throat> you're you're on the west coast of Canada. So are you within a few hours of Vancouver? Yes. Yeah. We're we're close. We're actually only about an hour uh, from Vancouver. Maybe depending on which way you get there, but hour to two hours. So. Okay. So real estate prices in Vancouver have kind of gone crazy over the last yeah. 10 years. They're yeah. just going up and up and up. Yeah. And and have you been there long enough to see what real estate's been doing where you are? Uh yeah, I mean, we've we've been here in this area for uh about three and a half years, somewhere in there. Mm-hmm. So um yeah, we've followed it since that time. And then, you know, I've I've definitely looked at trends in in the history before we even were were in this area. Uh so we have an idea of the prices, how they've been, you know, going 
up and down. Well, mostly up, but there was some little bit of down periods earlier in the decade. So, but yeah, I have a pretty good eye. I do keep a really good eye on the real estate around here. So, okay. And do you know what the history is of the rental rates for these cabins? Like, do you know what they were renting for five years ago? Per night? Uh, yeah, yeah, approximately. Like, the I have averages. So, they were renting. I have it here. I, I mean, I can off the top of my head remembering. I think it was around averaging 130 somewhere in that area per night mm -hmm. was the average rate. Okay, and now it's around 150, maybe. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, not even uh, under, just under probably that. I think it's in the uh, 140s. Okay. So the rental rates of the cabins have gone up maybe, maybe seven, eight percent in the last five years. Yeah, I think it's, uh, there's actually been some increases in the rates over the last three years. So, um, including one that's just happening around now, actually. So, um, yeah, if you do the math on that, yeah, it seems like it's only about seven, eight percent, but um, the rate increases are actually have been more closer to fifteen percent. So um, I'm not sure why the math doesn't quite check out, or maybe it, I just have to look closer at the rates what they okay. were five years ago. So in but in the in same time in the same time frame, what would the price of of homes and real estate in the area have gone up? Uh, so sorry, last five years. Yeah. Um, it's cooled off the last year since I think 2017 they introduced some new mortgage rules in the area in, mm -hmm. in BC and I guess everywhere. But um, in that time, it's about a third. Just because I know from around even even our place, uh, it's about a third, about 30 percent or so that the the real estate values have gone up. Okay. Okay. And we're we're heading somewhere with all this, but I'm just I'm laying the groundwork for 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 what I think is going on and what I think you should consider in making okay. this making this decision. Awesome. Yeah. So so let's get back to the the income of the business is about two hundred grand and there's about seventy thousand dollars of operating costs, electricity, taxes like property tax, water, sewer, all that kind of stuff that you have yeah. to pay. Yeah. Maintenance. And then if you borrow money to buy this thing, you're going to have $108,000 going out in, uh, in debt service. And it's going to leave about 22. And so out of that 22,000, you got to, you got to cover labor, but you're in a position where you could work in this business for free because you have other sources of income. Yeah. If it makes sense still financially to do that. Yeah. I've right. okay. just listening to you. I know that that's always not a great idea, but. <laughs> well, I mean, I, you know, people do things with their time for yeah. a lot of different reasons, but I mean, I, I, I think that people should be paid for their time, but yeah, yeah. there's different views. The, right. the, and furthermore, if you take $300,000 out of your existing home to, you know, or so let's say 200,000 out of your, you know, well, yeah, the math is uh, another 200 grand out of your home to, uh, to buy this thing, then you're going to rent out your home. So someone else is going to be paying that payment, but you're still going to take $200,000 of equity of value you've accumulated and put it into this thing. That's right. And so now if you're willing to work for free, that 22 grand that's left over could be the return on your own money. Right. Right. Okay. Yeah. 
Okay. So you'd be earning an 11% rate of return on your own money while you work for free. Now, are you really working for free or do you have to consider the fact that the principal on those debts is going down over time that eventually you will end up owning this thing right. if you can last long enough to pay off all the debts? You know, again, it's philosophy, right? Let me tell you a story. Um, many years ago, back in 2004, 2005, interest rates were coming down because of the whole dot-com bubble economic activity that was going on there in the early 2000s. And um, I was buying buildings. I bought two, three-unit buildings, and I bought a four-unit building, okay? And I was reading books by you know Robert Kiyosaki and all these guys who were talking about making money with real estate. And I bought these buildings, and I was a young man, and I wasn't married, and I didn't have kids. And... So I would go around on the first of the month and I would collect rents from some people. And so one of my buildings in particular wasn't in such a great part of town. So I was going over there and I would always have trouble with tenants and I'd end up having to kick people out. And I was collecting, you know, fistfuls of cash from people and, and um, people would move out and I'd come in and I'd repaint the place or, or I'd come and I'd have to mop the floors or I'd hire someone to do that. And um, even after I made the mortgage payments, I was putting some money in my pocket and I thought that I was really smart because of all the stuff I had read saying that I had these expenses in the mortgages, but other people were doing work to pay my bill. Right. And so, so I was happy and I thought it was great. And then, um, I got married and I had a baby and very quickly realized how much time I was spending on these buildings. Um, I was mowing all the lawns. I was doing the cleaning. I was showing the apartment to prospective tenants. And my wife at the time made it very clear that the amount of time that I was being put into these buildings was not really acceptable because I wasn't around to contribute at home. Right. So what I decided to do is I started to do better at getting other people to do things. So I would, uh, I found a cleaning lady who could clean the apartments, found a painter who would do a good job and be quick at repainting, uh, found a, a plumber who would call my tenants and make his own appointments. So, so I'll, if someone called me and said their, their toilet wasn't working, I would just call the plumber. The plumber would call the tenant. He would go over there, fix it, mail me a bill, right? Same thing for electrician. And so I was still collecting the rent, but I wasn't spending nearly as much time doing stuff. But of course, my my bills were growing, right? Because I wasn't doing simple drywall repair and painting and stuff. I was paying people to do it. And then my second child came along, my son. And that's when I reached the point where I was like, I can't even manage the people who are doing things. I need somebody else to manage them. And that's when I hired a property management company. And that was great because they collected the rents. They had the pre-authorized debit thing where they would take money right out of people's accounts on the first and they would pay all of my contractors and they would go and meet prospective tenants and they would go and take phone calls of complaining about things at all hours of the night. And at the end of the month, there'd be nothing left for me. Right. Okay. 
So, so that's when the economic reality of owning small apartment buildings hit me because I said, wow, um, the only reason I was putting money in my pocket is because I was doing all this work. And if I was honest with myself about the number of hours that went into this, I was working really hard for like 12, 13, $14 an hour. Right. <laughs> and, and, and so I really shouldn't have been smiling so much in those days because I, I had deceived myself. Right. Right. And, you know, it's much better for me to spend an hour of my time working with a client that I have today, uh, you know, cause I earn them far more for every hour that I spend with them than it is for me to do that kind of work. And, and my real estate agent uh, who helped me buy all those buildings, I remember early in our relationship, he said that he often recommended those little apartment buildings to guys who were like handy guys, but ultimately were sort of limited in the marketplace. So, you know, a, a fella who has a lot of handyman skills, but they're going to do a job that's going to pay them 45 or 50 grand. And their, their employment prospects aren't much greater than that, but they have time on their hands and they have the skills to do all the maintenance. Right. And he said, those guys can buy a building or two when they're 30 or 40 years old. And by the time they get to retirement age, they'll have the mortgages paid off. And that's when they'll really enjoy it. And it becomes a perfect retirement vehicle for those guys. So it's an opportunity for them, just given the situation they're in and who they are. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And it, and it makes a lot of sense for a person in that situation, right? right. Be because um, they have the skills and they have the time and it's not like they can take their extra time and earn another hundred grand with it. Right. But they can take care of a little apartment building. Right. And so by the time I, I came to this full realization that I wasn't really being smart with my time and I wasn't really making good money, interest rates had fallen so low. And of course, what happens is there's an inverse relationship between interest rates and property prices. Mm -hmm. The cheaper it is to borrow money, the more money people can borrow. Right. They can afford more on their paycheck, which, which creates price inflation in real estate. Right. So buyers can afford to borrow more means prices are going to go up. And so the, I, I had bought, and I'm on the East coast of Canada and real estate prices are nothing like they are out in the West coast. But I bought a three unit apartment building at one time for 140,000. And a few years later, people were paying 180. Right. And when I put that number and that mortgage payment into my spreadsheet I had built, I realized there's no way somebody can pay 180 and make money with it with, with the level that the rents were at. Wow. And, I, and I said, you know what, I'm just, I'm a, I'd be a fool again if I didn't get out. Yeah. And so I sold them and walked away with the money, right? And what happens when there's price inflation, right, is, is people have to commit more and more of their paycheck in order for something they have to have. So what's happening in Vancouver and the reason why the government changed the mortgage rules is people were being squeezed out of the city. Yes. Right. Yeah. So, and it's a lot of people coming from Asia, a lot of wealthy people from China and stuff, buying condos and then not even living in them, just letting them sit there. And so prices keep going up. Regular people that have a job can't afford the city 
And when, you know, the, the voters start to leave or complain, that's when the politicians act. And so they change the rules. But what you've described to me is this. Um, in the area that you're in, housing prices have gone up 30% in the last five years. What, what do you expect they may have gone up in Vancouver? Oh, geez. Um, five years. Could they have doubled? Just from, you know, because we were from that area. So, I, you know, I know a bit, but um, I don't know if I, I don't know if it would have in five, five years, uh, not quite doubled, I don't think, but possibly close to. <laughs> okay. um, so, yeah. So they stalled out a bit lately, but let's say it's like from, uh, say from 2012 to 2017, approximately. Mm-hmm. I'd say that, you know, uh, just from people I know that have bought even around that time, uh, yeah, maybe 40%. Yeah. Okay. For sure, at least that. Okay. So the price keeps going up for something people have to have, which is a place to live, right? And if you're a couple hours from Vancouver, I would imagine that a lot of the guests that stay at this business are maybe from the Vancouver area. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Okay. So in your area, property prices have gone up 30%, but if all things were equal and everything was appreciating at 30%. It would mean that your $130 a night room rate five years ago would be 169 now. Right. But it's not. No. And the reason is, is because more and more of people's discretionary income is going into something they have to buy, which is housing, yes. which means less money is available for things they choose to buy, which would be a little vacation getaway. Yes. Right. So, so there's the, the, what's this business is being squeezed on both sides because real estate prices are going up, which means that the sellers of this business know that there's a, a sort of minimum redevelopment value of the property. Yeah. Yeah. Right. If it doesn't sell as a hospitality business, as a cabin rental business, it could sell as many other different kinds of things where this value in the land and the buildings will be recognized. Right. Yeah. Right. I mean, um, a bunch of people, uh, nine people could get together and just decide to buy it as a cooperative and they could all have a home for, you know, less than it would cost for them to buy land and build. That's right. Right. Now the only thing is that because it does have commercial zoning on it, um, Mm -hmm. I don't know. I'm not sure if you you would know, but I mean that could affect that. That's kind of what was my worry because I actually thought of that in in uh, you know my head. I was thinking, well, you know, if if it doesn't work out as what it is right now, maybe it could be just regular monthly rentals, you know, or something that you know at least could pay the bills, you know, if if the tourism industry went downhill, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so, but then I guess you know that's why I kind of was wondering about the zoning issues, but I guess that's a whole other topic. Yeah, and that's. <laughs> And that's entirely a local thing that you have to explore yeah. with local rules, right? right. Um, but let me tell you about another business that's almost the same. Okay, great. Which, which is here in New Brunswick. And um, the same kind of thing is happening with this business. Um, and while normal property in New Brunswick uh, isn't very expensive, there are certain things here that are very expensive. So, for example, um, 
spots along salmon rivers with riparian rights. Mm-hmm. So pre-Confederation, uh, which is the, was the creation of Canada, um, there were pieces of property that were sold that included the fishing rights to the waterways. And after Confederation, this wasn't done anymore. So, so these titles, you know, a lot of them crown grants and things like this, ha- give people exclusive rights to fish. And some of these are on salmon pools and places where you can catch salmon. And so now you're starting to get into something that's completely unrelated to real estate. It has to do with, you know, wealthy people from New York and Boston who want to go salmon fishing. Right. And so the same sort of thing happens is the, the value of these things goes way up because they're so rare, but the cash flow of the business rarely justifies the price okay. that people are willing to pay. And so I know a fella who has a business like this and he has been trying to sell it for quite some time mm-hmm. and um, he's been unable to. And so what he's done is, is there were a few cottages kind of on the, on the periphery of the, of the hospitality business Okay. And he subdivided the property and sold them off. Oh, wow. Right. Trying to, trying to make the thing smaller and more bite-sized for someone to come along and take. Right. Yeah. And no matter how you slice and dice it, there's no way for the income to justify the price that the real estate and those fishing rights are worth. And what has ultimately happened is he's ended up turning it into, and I don't know what the exact legal structure is, but there are going to be like 20 or 30 owners. Oh, wow. And those people are not motivated at all by the commercial activity of the business. They're motivated right. by having this sort of private resort mm-hmm. that they get to use to go and stay in and, and fish at while... um there still will be some rental activity, which will defer the operating costs. Right. So it's, right. it's, it's almost, it's like a vacation rental or not rental, but vacation property with some income to, I guess, kind of make it make more sense for them personally. Yeah. It's almost going to be kind of like one of those timeshare things, except it won't be structured as such. It'll probably be structured as a limited partnership or a, you know, something like that. Right. Okay. And, and, but it's the same problem. And, and the people who, who own this business that you're looking at, they would have acquired it in a time when the proportionate value of real estate was nowhere near as high as it was now, as it is now. Right. Right. So if you buy this thing, you will have to subsidize its operation with your labor. Mm -hmm. They actually are already subsidizing it, but they don't even know it. They're subsidizing it through the capital tied up in the real estate. If if the real estate is worth a million dollars, then the real estate should be earning a certain amount of return. And the real estate should be able to earn that return for its owners. And then the business should be able to earn a, a wage for them for operating it. And if we start to stack all that stuff, we realize that that this business isn't doing that. Okay. They just they just think they're doing okay because they have 200,000 coming in, 
they pay their expenses are left with 130, let's say, and, and both of them work there. And so they have a pretty good life. Yeah. But it's because the proper economic cost of the real estate isn't being recognized. Okay. okay. Right. Right. Now the, and I think another thing too is there, it's actually been a bit higher the last couple of years. The revenue has been, you know, closer to two, I think it was 220, 230. And then this past year, 250. So it's mm-hmm. even cushioned that a bit more because it's been a bit higher revenue. And then like, of course you said, like values have gone up with the real estate. So. Yeah. yeah. So, what What is their intention? Or do they want to sell because they'd like to retire? Yes. Yeah. yeah. That's uh that's a plan is they, they, they bought the place originally as, um, a, I guess a type of a retirement investment to, to help enable themselves to be in a better spot when they retire. And so that's what they're hoping to capitalize on now. Okay. So you mentioned the sales going up and the sales going down. Okay. So, so the risk in this business is that if sales go down, um, only 10%. So if they fell from 200 to 180, that $22,000 left over that we called the return on your, on your capital evaporates. Right. Yeah. So a 10% decline in sales would be a hundred percent decline in, in return for you after you already decided to work for free. That's right. Yeah. Okay. So you see how tight this is getting? Yeah. And, okay. and I'm glad you're bringing this up because I did some stress testing. I, you know, I would call it for the cash flow and plunked in some, some numbers that were, you know, where the revenue went down, you know, even to lower what you're talking, than what you're talking about, lower to 150 and whatnot. And, you know, some extra expenses, emergency, emergency things that have come up and it really starts to look risky. And that's, and that's where I'm really, glad that you're you're helping talk through this because that was something that was on my mind already is how Mm -hmm. sensitive it could be to that (laughs) okay so this business may be a great one and it may be a great long-term thing if you decide that your family's future is in this locality for the next 30 or 40 years Mm -hmm. if you love this place and this is where you want to live maybe this can work right But, but here's the way you have to start here's the way you have to start to think about it how can we acquire the business, pay a fair price, but offset part of the risk back to the seller so that if there, there is an upswing or a downswing, then, then we're, we're able to, to mitigate things. We're not going to be, because you don't want to put a bunch of money in, you don't want to put some home equity into this, work for free for four years, have a 30% market decline and lose it to the bank. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Because we're really happy with what we have right now and and our our life is good. We got a pretty good equity in our place right now and, and, you know, our bills are kind of lower, right? So I would hate for that to go away for sure. (laughs) Yeah. So, so here's the kind of offer that you should, you should float with them, right? Um, You know, you think you can buy it for a million bucks. Their asking price is a little bit higher than that. Um, so what I would do is I would offer them their full asking price, but under these terms. Okay. Maybe what you say is, uh, I'll give you your full asking price and I'll pay you by giving you 30% of my monthly receipts until I've paid you the full amount. Okay. Now you're talking the full purchase price. Yeah. 
Oh wow. Okay. So so because here's because here's what we're talking about now is we're talking about them taking money over multiple years and in your initial offer we're talking about no interest. Mm-hmm. Okay. So instead of putting yourself knee, neck deep in debt with the bank and paying tons and tons of interest to the bank and being under the threat of them coming and foreclosing if something goes wrong in the business, we're now going to make the capital acquisition cost a variable function of the business's performance. Wow. Okay, great. Right? Yeah. So if sales go up, you pay them more. If sales go down, you pay them less. They're going to get the full amount. And if if their goal is retirement, getting a check every month from you means that they don't have to dip into any other kind of retirement savings. They can just take this money from you. Mm-hmm. Right. 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 And I say offer the full asking price because it's unlikely they're going to get an offer at full asking price. Yeah. So, so it looks need, great in that sense, right? Yeah. You to want that. your offer to stand out. Yeah. 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 And, and they probably are going to then go to their lawyer and their accountant and they're, and they're going to come back to you and say that they can't do it. Right. But in negotiation, we want to plant a flag. We want to establish where we're headed. And I think the only way that this business can be acquired in any way that makes sense is if the seller plays a major role in the financing. Yes. And so, yeah, so, yeah but maybe at the end of the negotiation, what ends up happening is you borrow 300 grand at the bank and give that to them. And yeah. you have a much smaller mortgage. And then you pay them a percentage of sales as well or something. Right. But, but the idea that they're going to get all their money and run away into the sunset, I think that that, that idea bubble has to be burst. Yeah. And that's, um, I had, I had, you know, similar thoughts in my mind, not the extreme, like what you're talking about, which is, which is a great, interesting idea. Um, you know, I, I had the vendor take back, um, mortgage or loan in in my mind but i was thinking much lower like that 200 grand we were talking about earlier right so <laughs> um so that yo that's really interesting and and yeah kind of exciting actually to to have that as maybe a potential i mean obviously see what they think about it but <laughs> right yeah. because when whenever i was talking with a seller um sellers initially of course always want money all the money and then when you start to ask them if you got all the money, what would you do with it? Yeah. And then, and then they'll say, well, you know, I'll, maybe I'll invest it. Mm-hmm. Well, great. What are you going to invest it in? Right. And so one of the pushbacks to this is we don't want to lend you this money essentially with no interest. And then you say, well, okay, fine. Let's talk about applying an interest rate. Uh-huh. So every, at the end of every year, for example, whatever amount is left over that I still owe you will, will grow it by 3%. Yes. Okay. So, so now you're going to get interest on it. Yeah. Right. And, and where can you go to get a 3% rate of return on something as secure as a loan against this business, Mm -hmm. against this property. Right. And if we don't pay you, you get to take it back. Yeah, exactly. Pretty secure. They would be able to register a mortgage just like a bank would. Right. Mm -hmm. So because the numbers being as they are, what it sounds like is is what I've seen so many times before is it'll just be on the business, on the market for a really long time. They'll end up selling it for less than their asking price. And if they can't find someone who can figure out how to make it work as a business, it'll end up being sold to somebody who will change it in some radical way. 
Yeah. Maybe somebody buys it, bulldozes it, and builds a you know big build. I don't know what what would fit around there, but maybe some completely different kind of property. Right. Yeah. 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 Mm. Well, that's a lot to think about. Now, what about? Uh, I guess I don't know. Maybe this is just depending on their mindset, but because I know they mentioned that uh, you know, so the the money that they're hoping to get out of it. Um, is a uh, uh, capital gain. They have a capital gains exemption mm-hmm. of like eight hundred grand or something. Like mm-hmm. you know, lifetime. Uh, I guess you would know more about that. But um, and that's, I guess, like you said, they're hoping to get a big chunk of money and just walk away, like you said, into the sunset. You know, and and essentially tax free in that sense. What what do you think about that? So the the capital gains allowance is, in, in, and this is for something that's specific to Canada, is that people in Canada have a. Um, a tax-free allowance for capital gains on the shares of active small businesses. Mm-hmm. And you can still do that, but it requires you to buy the shares, not mm-hmm. the property. Yeah. Oh, and sorry, maybe I guess that wasn't clear from the beginning because it, it, it is a share sale, right? Yeah. yeah. And, and, and so that's part of the negotiation. Mm-hmm. And, and of course, the problem with a share sale is that it can create complications with respect to liability for past actions. Yeah. Right. And, not so so not only do they get their full asking price but they get to do it as a share sale and get a get eight you know 80 percent of that money tax free you know who's going to let them do that who's going to give them the opportunity to actually get all that get that chunk yeah <laughs> right you're you're basically saying i'll give you everything you want but you have to take it the way i'm offering it yeah and that's where the relationship and trust is going to come into place. Mm-hmm. Um, in my business buyer adventure group, um, one of the buyers made an offer on a business and the business had an asking price and the, and the seller wanted all the money down. And the buyer traveled to meet with them and created a relationship, got mm-hmm. to know them, made an offer where they financed 75% of the deal. Right. And wow. the counter offer was that the seller was only willing to finance 57%. Think about that. Wow. They went from wanting to finance nothing to financing over half. Wow. So it's it's all going to come down to them trusting you Mm -hmm. with the business. Okay. Yeah, that's great. That's an important point. And well, the nice thing is we don't have to travel anywhere for that. (laughs) We're we're in the neighborhood. Well, and, and this is an important this is an important thing because the fact that you're in the neighborhood and you know in all likelihood you and your situation probably mirror something some aspect of them. Mm-hmm. They probably ended up there, maybe maybe they're from there originally, but maybe they ended up there because they were tired of the big city bustle as well and they were looking for a different life. Right. And so if they can see themselves in you and your family, then there's a greater opportunity for them to empathize with your situation. Yes, right. right. And and if you show them your numbers and say, look, if we buy it by borrowing and we buy it the way you're trying to sell it, here's the risky, precarious position we get put in. But if you do it the way we want to do it, we don't have to negotiate down the price. We don't have to argue you out of a share sale and into an asset sale, which is what the bank will want, yes, right? Okay. Then, then 
you know, you won't end up getting all the things you want. But if you do it the way we are offering, you'll get everything you want and you'll be helping us live the life that you enjoyed. Yes. Okay. Right? Yeah. And that then your success becomes part of their legacy. Right. Well, and, they, and I know they have mentioned even, and even in some of their, their um, information packages about the, about the places, their hopes to have the, the place continue, you know, be successful, be a, as it is, and, you know, carry on the tradition of the business itself, right? So, mm-hmm. yeah, so. Yeah, so that, that could, like you say, carry a lot of weight is having the, the right people, you know, if it's us. Yeah. Yeah. So I um, think there's opportunity here, um, but I don't think it would be wise for someone to commit to working for free for five plus years and and keeping your fingers crossed the whole time that nothing ever happens to the revenue level. Yeah. Yeah, that could create a lot of stress. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. And, 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 you know, your ambition in moving there was to create a more relaxed lifestyle. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you want to go backwards. <laughs> well, yeah, because you know, you could move back to the city and earn a hundred grand or something. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But you're not doing it. No, no, no. Yeah. So, you know, like that's a big reason why we left and changed our lifestyle. Exactly. To reduce the stress and, and, and reduce financial stress as well and, and everything, right? So, yeah, to go back and do, you know, being kept up at night worrying about what could happen next month or next year or five years is, yeah, that's no, no fun for us. Yeah. Well, Tony, we're, we're at the end. Did, did we get to the heart of what you were after in this call? Exactly. Yes, this is perfect. Um, um, yeah, really happy with the way you helped me walk through this and painted a picture here and some of the things that you, you you're saying it, it makes a lot of sense to me because some of the th- same similar things were in my mind but to have you you know put your expertise spin on it I guess and 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 then the part about your conclusion with the the them having to essentially finance a huge portion and maybe some creative ways like um, a percentage of revenue is is awesome that's something I didn't think was you know even something that I would I would never have thought of that, right? To have it that, you know, potentially going to them and saying, you know, financing the whole business or, or having them come, come to agree with some high amount, um, mm-hmm. finance a purchase. So that's amazing that that I can kind of take that forward and, and work with that and see maybe if there's a possibility for that. And um, yeah, thanks for reassuring me about um, I guess some of the risks uh, with this, right? And um, so awesome, awesome. Awesome. All right. Yeah. Thanks, Tony. And I'm glad you called in today. Thanks so much, Dave.